Well, howdy, Pastor Landon here, Executive Pastor of Real Faith. If you're enjoying this sermon, you're one of more than 200 million people who will be reached by Real Faith Ministries content this year alone. Pastor Mark and Grace Driscoll produce a mountain of free content, and it's all available on at realfaith.com. If you're married, we've got a podcast for you. If you've got kids, we've got resources for you. If you're a man trying to sort out his life, we can help. And for those of you who pray and give to Real Faith Ministries, we are fully supported by ministry partners like you. Thank you for your generosity in helping us reach people for Jesus. Every dollar you give reaches more than 100 people with the gospel. We'd love to have you partner with us. Thanks. And so all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one has the moral high ground. And this is, um, this is this false sense of victimhood. And we are all victims, but the greatest victim is God. And if we're going to care about victims, we need to start with Jesus who suffered and died for our sin, confess our sin and start there. This leads to then a false counterfeit concept within critical theory and the critic and the accuser behind it all of righteousness. Righteousness is not um, something that is given to you, reckoned to you, or imputed to you through God. I'm teaching through the book of Romans. One of the great themes in Romans is imputed righteousness. That is that the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect obedience, his death for our disobedience, and his resurrection to defeat Satan, sin, death, hell, and to disarm the wrath of God. And we are saved from God. We're saved by God. We're saved to God that ultimately that righteousness is imputed. It's given to me, not of works so that I cannot boast, but of grace. It's a gift that God gives through Jesus Christ. In addition to imputed righteousness, where Paul's going in Romans, I'm working through the book, he talks about imparted righteousness. This is where God the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the child of God to give them a new nature, a new heart, to cause them to be a new creation with new desires and new identity and new power, new relationship with God to start to walk and live in the spirit, not in the flesh. Not a perfect you, but a new you that has the perfect spirit of God in you and is working through a perfection process that will be completed in eternity. That's the Bible's concept of righteousness. It's imputed through the justification of Jesus. It is imparted through the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The counterfeit of that within uh, critical theory and counterculture is something called intersectionality. The more you suffer, the more righteous you are. And it, it ignores all of the suffering that you would cause others. It's total hypocrisy. It's me repenting of your sin, not my sin. And it's making myself the victim, not Jesus and others victims of my sin. It's a self-righteous secular religion. It is a innate hypocrisy. And this concept of intersectionality is the more places that you feel that you have experienced some form of injustice means that you are a more righteous person. So let's say um, you feel like, well, I was poor. No, that's, that's one category. And I was female. That's another category. And I was of a certain race or cultural grouping. There's another. Or I was of this religious or spiritual community that was minority. Um, the more boxes I can tick, uh, the more points I win for the intersectionality game of righteousness through suffering. Never mind whether or not those things are even categories that God honors. Some religions, spiritualities, ideologies, they're just wrong. 
and you don't get points if you believe that and somebody says that it's wrong, it's actually very loving to tell you that you're in a cult or a false religion. And some people will say, well, we need to eradicate human suffering. And I would say, I agree with that. So let's start with the worst human suffering, which is hell. And let's preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's bring God's cosmic justice to all sinners. Let's have the Holy Spirit indwell them so that the imparted and imputed righteousness of God starts to work through them. Let's see if they don't treat people differently, deal with sexuality differently, deal with economics differently, deal with their family differently. Let's see if they don't become better citizens, stop cheating on their girlfriends, murdering their children, and failing to pay the child support for the kid that they never wanted. I mean, this, it's, what's amazing to me in this world is that literally critical theory it has taken the place of God and it's the one thing that you're not allowed to question or call into judgment. That literally it's put itself in this ultimate authority sovereign seat where the, the only uh, unforgivable or unpardonable sin, if, if you could use that language, is to critique critical theory. Um, I was reading um, one academic uh, sort of treatise on the history of critical theory. And the one thing that they don't have is papers and books that critique critical theory. So critical theory will just critique everyone and everything, but not itself. It's replacing God. It's saying, I'm perfect. I'm in authority. And you need to know that behind critical theory is the critic. And it is his way of trying to take the war that he lost in heaven and to win that war on earth. He tried to replace God. He critiqued God. He wanted to then replace God and he wanted to judge God and he wanted God not to have the authority or ability to judge him. He then lost that war, Revelation 12, seven through nine. He was cast down. He's continuing that war. Now he uses marketing, social media platforms, hashtags, pickets, protests, statements, organizations, institutions, and candidates. Again, behind the world we see is the world we don't see. And ultimately, uh, he remains the accuser of the children of God, accusing them day and night. Some other uh, things as well. Repentance is very interesting. Um, You don't repent to God, people repent to you. This is where people go on their apology tour. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And if you do something, you need to go find a celebrity. You need to sit on the couch. They're the version of the secular priest. This is now confessional. And you're going to just, uh, you're going to tell everyone all the bad things you did. You're not looking for God to forgive you. You're looking for people who are now in the judgment seat of God and they will render a verdict as to whether or not they forgive you. So we have this counterfeit of repentance. I don't repent to God, right? The psalmist says against you only, Lord God, have I sinned. Uh, It's like, no, 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 no. We don't confess to God, we confess to people. People sit in God's judgment seat within this counterfeit of critical theory and cancel culture. And if we say or do anything wrong, we gotta find the secular version of the priest. We need to bring them into the confessional, turn the lights on, turn the camera on. They then need to confess their sins. And then we get to sit in God's seat and determine whether they are forgiven or unforgiven. That's the entire culture that we live in. Um, Also too, there are heretics. Within Christianity, there are real heretics. There are national borders and there are state borders. National borders are those theological issues that if you cross those borders, you're not a Christian. 
this would include what I call the closed-handed issues, like the Bible is the perfect word of God. There is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity. We're here at the Trinity Church. This would include uh, the virgin birth, sinless life, substitutionary death, and bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This would include Jesus being fully man, fully God, one person, two natures. This would include repentance of sin and receiving of Jesus Christ for eternal life. It would include heaven and hell. These are the closed-handed national borders. If you cross one, you're in another religion or you're in a cult. Um, The big difference being that a cult still claims to be Christian, even though it has violated one of the national borders. Well, just like our country, we've got national borders, and as long as you're within them, you're in America, there are also states within our country. So I'm in Arizona. I don't know where you're at, but there are states within our country, and we can travel between those borders and boundaries, though they do distinguish us. They do not completely divide us. These would be what I would call the open-handed issues within Christianity. Um, and so how old is the earth? Do you, well, how do you educate your kid, public, private, or homeschool? Uh, speaking in tongues, everybody, some people, nobody. Um, when is Jesus coming back? Um, what translation of the Bible should you use? Should you sprinkle somebody or just dunkity dunk dunk them? What should you do? Those are open-handed issues. Within critical theory and the counterfeit of cancel culture, they will brand you as a heretic and then you get labeled. And so you're a homophobe, you're an Islamophobe, you're non-binary. God is very binary. Just so you know, God's very binary. Heaven, hell, good, evil, God, Satan, truth, lies. He's very binary. See, if, if God went to Target, um, he would not think that you can choose either bathroom. He would think that there's one for the man and one for the woman, and that he made that very clear. And he doesn't know why it's so confused. Well, it's because of rebellion. The way it works today is you're branded a heretic if you disagree with critical theory. You don't believe that uh, there are two genders and sexes. Okay, now you are, you are branded as someone who is um, homophobic or um, you have a transgender bias, you do. Um, if, you, uh, if you believe that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, now you're a religious bigot and you're intolerant. You're intolerant. And so people are branded as heretics and then they're treated like heretics are. They're put in the stockades. We throw tomatoes on them. Today, we call that social media and blog comments and comments on YouTube. And or we just burn them at the stake. We literally just set their life on fire and burn it to the ground because that's what you do to the heretics. There's also a counterfeit of being born again within critical theory. And this is something that exists within confused gender ideology. Um, but, But they'll talk about being woke. That language of woke, that's the demonic counterfeit of being born again. Um, When you're born again, the language is, I was blind and now I see, I was dead, now I'm alive. Within critical theory, it was, I was asleep and now I've been awakened. It is um, their version of uh, public testimony or or, or baptism. It's, it's like a sacrament. It's just publicly declaring uh, it, and it goes together with coming out of the closet. And so let's say you're going to now recreate your gender. God made your gender. You're going to recreate your gender. Coming out of the closet, that's your sacrament. That's like give, giving your testimony and getting baptized. 
This is the counterfeit in the church of critical theory of now testifying publicly. And within this as well, um, to be woke is to be awakened. It's the demonic counterfeit of being born again. So if you're one of these preachers that's preaching for your people to get woke, what you're preaching is for something other than the Spirit of God to awaken them. That the Holy Spirit does quicken or awaken the child of God, but a demonic spirit is willing to do the same because Satan is the deceiver. Uh, that he uh, has counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles to deceive even the elect, the Bible says, if possible. Uh, they're also evangelists. Within Christianity, we've got evangelists and they go to the street and they're gonna be out letting everybody know. We have that now. We have pickets, protests, parades. We have marches and bullhorns, and we have people who are literally preaching the gospel of critical theory, the false gospel, the counterfeit gospel of critical theory, and they are calling you to publicly convert and to join. Now it becomes an identity for you. Now this becomes your counterfeit to the church. This becomes your cause. Let me just say this. Be very wary as a leader that your cause remains Christ. And sometimes what happens is we'll have Christ and then we'll pick up a cause and then we'll use Christ for the cause and then eventually we'll lose Christ and keep the cause. This is how liberalism works. It starts with Christ, it adds a cause and pretty soon it removes Christ and it remains with the cause. That's exactly what happens in liberalism. And this concept of being woke and these street evangelists um, pounding the pavement and calling for conversion, they're willing for you to keep a little bit of Christ as long as you embrace their cause. But eventually just know this, that uh, you will lose your Christ and you will keep your cause. And that's how we get apostasy. That's how we get cults. That's how we get false teaching. That's how we get demonic deception. They're also um, talked about justice. Well, there's also a counterfeit of crucifixion. I've got a few minutes left. See, in Christianity, Jesus Christ was crucified for our sin out of love as a substitute. What happens in cancel culture, we crucify you. We take everything you've ever said. We're gonna let everybody know. We're gonna take everything you've ever done. And we're gonna let everybody know. We're gonna crucify you. Cancel culture is a demonic counterfeit of critical theory. And it is a demonic counterfeit to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We're going to kill your business. We're gonna crucify your business. We're gonna crucify your reputation. We're gonna crucify your organization. We're gonna crucify your sponsorships. We're gonna crucify your book. We're gonna crucify your social media platform. You are crucified and you're buried and you can't rise again. It's a demonic counterfeit. And, and it's, it's a denial that we too are sinners and that our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, he didn't crucify us, he was crucified for us. And he didn't cancel us, he adopted us. All right guys, Pastor Mark here letting you know about the latest book, New Days, Old Demons. It's a prophetic word against pathetic wokeness. Uh, you guys understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, hopefully it is on sale. If not, it's coming out very, very soon. Would appreciate your prayers as we punch a lot of people and things in the mouth. And if it's a help, get a copy. And this is where Paul says in, in Romans and Galatians, the spirit of God brings it to mind that we don't have the spirit of slaves. We have the spirit of sons. We have the spirit of God. The spirit of critical theory, the spirit of counter, of a cancel culture, the uh, the 
the, the spirit of this demonic counterfeit that has overtaken our world, it's a spirit of slavery. It's a spirit of slavery. There's no freedom. There's no life. There's no joy. There's just steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. It's a spirit of slavery. And God is a father. And he says that we are the sons of God. And Satan is a father, and he also parents his kids. That's where Jesus says in John 8, he says, your father is the devil. A lot of people, Satan is their father, and he's the father of lies, and they're echoing the father of lies, and they're living as his slaves, and they don't get the enjoyment that God gives to us as sons. That's why that whole cancel culture and critical theory, it's not joyful. It's not happy. You don't see the fruit of the spirit there. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Because that only happens under the spirit of sonship, not under the spirit of slavery. It only happens when there is Jesus Christ being crucified for us, not us crucifying one another. Um, There are also Pharisees. Jesus had the Pharisees, they followed him around and they're just nitpicking over minor things. He says, you tithe out of your spice rack, but you forget the weightier matters of the law. Today, we call these microaggressions. Microaggressions are what the uh, critical theory and cancel culture counterfeit uh, leaders do. They're walking around looking for microaggressions. Oh, mispronunciation of pronoun. You said he and not they. That was a microaggression. The Pharisees are here to criticize you and they're going to make you abide. Uh, people just carry forth this religious disposition. What I'm telling you is that um, if you don't have the real kingdom of God, the counterfeit has all of the counterfeits that Jesus dealt with, like the Pharisees. Uh, In addition, um, there is a false concept and a counterfeit of the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, Jesus has all wealth and power and cares for us. Uh, The way it works with uh, critical theory and cancel culture is everybody who has wealth and power, it needs to be taken from them and redistributed because the lie under critical theory is the same lie that was under the Tower of Babel. And that is that we can have heaven on earth without God. It overlooks original sin. It overlooks human depravity. It overlooks the fact that our sin is infected and affected the totality of our person, our, our emotional life, our mental life, our physical life, our spiritual life, all of our thoughts, words, and deeds, and motives, all of it is infected and affected by sin. And so even if we take all the money and power from these sinners and we give it to these sinners, we don't get heaven. The only way we get heaven is if the Lord Jesus, who alone is perfect, if he oversees as King of kings and Lord of lords, all of the wealth and power, and he distributes it as he sees fit and whatever he decides is in fact justice. And so what we have is this counterfeit thought of a kingdom. And this is where every election year, people are really, it's like they're voting for a Messiah. We get together with religious zeal. We become evangelists for the candidate. And we just think if we vote for them, they will take all the money and power. They will take it away from the bad people. They'll give it to us, the good people, and then we'll have heaven on earth. And after a few hundred years, I think we should just render the verdict that that experiment has failed. 
that heaven is not just a place, it's a person named Jesus Christ, and that ultimately the kingdom of God only works if we have the king of kings. Until then, we have a bunch of fallen sinners arguing and fighting over redistribution of resources. And the truth is, it doesn't matter which sinner you give it to, eventually they will find a way to use it for that which is wrong or poor stewardship. Um, there's also a version of jihad in all of this. Uh, within uh, some religions, there's jihad, and that's where the cause is forwarded by imposition, not proposition. It's convert or die, for example, in some radical versions of Islam. Well, within critical theory and cancel culture, the counterfeit is jihad. You agree or die. You agree or die. It's imposition, not proposition. And this is where um, Christians today, uh, if you really care a lot about offending, you need to be very sure that if you are put in a position where you offend them or you offend him, that you make your choice wisely. Because this jihadi uh, sort of disposition, it says, do not offend me or I will attack you. And it's like, you know what? This is ultimately between you and my Jesus. This is between you and the word of God. This is between you and the spirit of God. This is between you and the kingdom of God. And at the end of the day, if I'm going to offend you or I'm going to offend him, I'm going to offend you. And ultimately I'll give an account to him. And so you can punish me, but he told me that this was going to happen. He says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. He says, in the world, you will have trouble. He says, they've hated me, they're gonna hate you. So my king told me that jihad was coming and I will endure jihad because I belong to Jesus. In addition, um, I'll just hit a few things. The reason why critical theory and cancel culture is so popular, especially for those of you who are younger. Um, now that I'm 50, I could say that. I get to be one of the old guys. Is because of social media. You know, we don't, we don't need more followers. We need more worshipers. That's what we need. We have plenty of followers. We need more worshipers. But if you're really worried about your social media platform. And you hear this all the time. People are like, well, I'm, I've got my platform. I'm building my platform. I was like, you know what? Your platform is gonna go away and Jesus' platform is all that there's going to be. And he's literally gonna pull us up from our graves and put us on his platform. So at the end of the day, don't worry about your platform. Worry about his platform. Don't worry about your reputation. Worry about his reputation. I, I've, I've had some said, something said about me that are fairly negative. And I had somebody one time say, uh, Pastor Mark, does it not bother you the things that are said about you? I said, well, if I gave Jesus my sin, why not also throw in my reputation? Um, all of me belongs to Jesus. So, and I know some of you will say, yeah, but Paul says to have a good reputation with outsiders. Yeah, when he said that kind of stuff, he tended to say it from prison, which means whatever a good reputation is, is big enough to be a criminal. The other reason that it becomes so popular to give into the spirit of the age, um, and this is for some of you who are Protestant. Protestantism, you just look at the first half of the title, and I'm Protestant, I'm more reformed by nature. I'm not a big fan of the five points of Calvinism, but, uh, but I like Luther a lot, and I like Calvin. But Protestantism is a protest it was defining yourself by who or what you're against. What happens for some who are more reformed, because some of you will be very confused because this, this hard veer left, 
And I'm not even talking politically. I'm talking theologically and morally. And let me just say this. Most people have a problem with the Bible, really have a problem with their pants. It's very simple. Uh, People are very simple. They're not like, I have a problem with the Bible. You have a problem with your pants. Most theological problems are moral problems. We suppress the truth. And then it goes on in the remainder of Romans 1 to talk about sexual sin and homosexuality and the only express forbidding of lesbianism in the entire Bible. And what it says is people have a problem with the Bible. It's just because they like sex and they want to have sex with whomever they want. And God says no. So they have to then be God's editors rather than God's worshipers. So just know this. Most of the people have a problem with the Bible. There are things in their life that they don't want God to have the authority to say no to. And most of them are sexual. That explains why critical theory is so important. Number one, for some people, it's very popular. Like if you, if you post the right things and jump on the right hashtags, you're gonna trend, you're gonna be an influencer. And if you're a Christian or an evangelical, they're gonna make you the poster child for their thing. And they're gonna try to drag Jesus and his reputation into their demonic counterfeit. The other reason that it is so incredibly popular, some people just have things in their life that they are struggling with or unwilling to repent of. And when critical theory comes along and says, hey, we have a way to explain an open marriage. We have a way to explain reorienting your gender. Hey, we have a way to explain living with your girlfriend. Hey, we have a way to explain being a porn head. Hey, we have a way to explain whatever it is you want to do. If you are open to that, you will then allow the spirit of the accuser and the critic to start to edit God's words so that you don't have to edit your behavior. See, the big idea is this. When you disagree with God's word, either you need to change your behavior or you need to change his word. And critical theory says we have a very academic way. We can even quote Greek and Hebrew. We have people educated beyond their intelligence. They have more degrees than Fahrenheit. And they will give you a very persuasive reason why you can be a naughty person. The third reason is it's popular as Protestantism. It's a a protest. This is where some of my friends that would have started more over on the theological right, more conservative, they're jumping on all kinds of strange like social bandwagons and isms. You're like, why is that? Well, it could be one of the first two. Maybe they want to be the cool kids. Usually they were the nerds in high school. They weren't the cool kids. And maybe if now they start, you know, joining the critical crowd, uh, they could become the cool kids. For some of them, maybe there's some stuff in their own life that they've got some behavior problems and some sin issues. And sometimes it's just the spirit of the protest because there are some within Protestantism, especially within the reformed tradition, they're just, you know what a protester is? It's a critic. Critical theory is just another way of saying protester. It's why critical theory leads to protests. People are asking, why do we have all these protests? Because critical theory leads to protests. Who or what are we against now? And it's always who or what are we against? And hear me in this. The first person, the first being to be against was Satan. And he was against God. He was the first critic. He organized the first protest. Demons were the first protesters. And I'm not saying that all protest is always bad, but we need to be careful that we're not following in the legacy of Satan and demons who were the first critics and architected the first protest in the presence of God. 
And what happens is if, if you're always defining yourself by who or what you're against, eventually the theological protest shows up with the critical culture and you end up with the mega protest. That's what's happening in some circles. This is where some previously seemingly Bible-believing evangelical Christians are now unifying with people who are literally anti-Christ, but what they share is not the same ideology, but the same spirit. The spirit of, the spirit of the accuser, the spirit of criticism, the spirit of protest. Because if you're always defining yourself by who or what you're against, not who and what you're for, Jesus and the gospel, eventually the protests get together and that's how you end up with a mega protest. Um, and let me just uh, close with this. Um, many, many years ago, I was a young leader. I think I was in my 20s. Um, I've been a senior pastor for about 25 years in the pulpit, preaching through books of the Bible. Like I said, I'm in Romans right now. And uh, many, many, many years ago when I was a young guy, um, and I was starting to wade into some of these issues. And again, I, I, I dealt with a lot of college students. So I feel like I come from the future. I was with college students in what was the least church city and state at the time in the United States of America. It got so bad that there was actually a women's studies class at the major university that uh, was against me, used me as the case study for um, Christian bigotry, toxic masculinity, which anymore I think just means you're a dude. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. I didn't even know it. I went to the bank and I went to make a deposit and this kid was the teller and they're like, oh, you're Mark Driscoll? He's like, yeah, have you been to my church? They're like, no, 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 but we watch your videos in class. I said, oh, is that good or bad? Oh, it's bad. We hate you. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're what's wrong with the world. You're a, you're a male with opinions who, you know, is heterosexual and had children, which ruins the environment, five kids. And, um, and you're teaching other men to be men who marry women and have children and believe the Bible. So yeah, basically you're, you're the worst. Um, and it was really curious because, uh, because it was around that same time that I went to meet with uh, a legendary evangelical leader. His name was uh, Dr. J.I. Packer. Uh, Billy Graham, J.I. Packer, uh, John Stott and Francis Schaeffer, I would say those were the, uh, those were the four horsemen of evangelicalism. Uh, those were the godfathers. And uh, some young leaders and I, we had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Dr. J.I. Packer. Let me just close with a story that comes to mind. And, and let me just say this too. You're gonna find something that I said that was wrong and you can critique it. Um, or you can just forgive it. If you want something that is perfect and has no errors and uh, has no reason to be critiqued, I would just tell you to read the Bible. Everything else you're gonna find problems with and you can criticize. Um, but I sat down with uh, Dr. G.I. Packer with some young evangelical leaders, and this was decades ago. And at the time he was living in Canada. Cause see, Europe is ahead of us, uh, I'd say probably a generation. Um, at least the more secular, woke portions of Europe that have trended even socialistic, which we didn't get into, but is part of the counterfeit. And then Canada is like half a generation behind, and then America is a generation behind. So Canada is like between the U.S. and um, and uh, many Euro Western European nations, uh, socially, politically, and historically. 
And so uh, he was in Canada. He got kicked out. G.I. Packer, I don't know if you know this, he got kicked out of his denomination. Uh, so did... Um, well, Spurgeon had a lot of conflict with his denomination and Jonathan Edwards, I think, got fired twice. So just because a guy gets a little conflict doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Sometimes history comes around and fixes it. That's what I'm hoping for. But um, G.I. Packer got kicked out of his denomination over the issue of gay marriage. And this was, this was a long time ago before it was legal in America, uh, back when the Clintons and the Obamas were against it. This was a long time ago. And... Uh, and I asked him, I said, Dr. Packer, I said, surveying the future as younger evangelical leaders, um, what would you recommend to us that we keep our eye on as the biggest issue or liability or concern for the next generation of evangelicalism? I just wanted to know, okay, you seem to be a bit of a prophet. You're living in the future, thinking in the future. At this point, he was a wise sage of a man. Speak to us young guys that don't know anything. We still got training wheels on our ministry, uh, what to look for. And uh, he said, uh, the greatest threat uh, that is coming is tolerance. And this was 20 some years ago. I said, okay, well, explain that to me, Dr. Packer. And he basically said that tolerance is a heresy. I said, a heresy? I said, explain that. He said, uh, Mark, do you remember uh, when Martin Luther posted the 99 theses on the Wittenberg door in Germany? My wife, Grace, and I, we actually toured there last year. And I said, no, Dr. Packer, I hate to tell you, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian school and I didn't meet Jesus till fairly recently. And yeah, there's a lot of things I don't know, but off the top of my head, I can't tell you what the first line was. And he said, the first line on the 99th Theses that Martin Luther nailed to the Wittenberg door, kind of the, the shot heard round the world that launched Protestantism and a return to the gospel, he said was this, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. He said, you cannot preach the gospel of Jesus Christ unless you preach repentance, personal, individual repentance of sin. He said, the reason that tolerance is a heresy is it says that you don't need to repent there's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to change. The truth is friends, God loves us so much. He takes us as we are. He loves us too much to allow us to stay as we are. He loves us so much that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. I preached that on this last weekend. Our goal is not to be true to us, but to be true to him. Our goal is not to become like we think we should be, but become like the Lord Jesus, who is the perfect human being. And he alone is the example of what we ultimately should aspire to and who we should be like. The demonic counterfeit that is told by the father of lies and is imposed by critical theory and is um, secured by a cancel culture is this, tolerance. Tolerance. It's the counterfeit of repentance. You don't need to repent of your sexuality. You don't need to repent of your ideology. And the demonic counterfeit is that everyone else needs to repent to me because I'm the victim. I'm Jesus. I'm not. We're all sinners by nature and choice. There's only one Jesus. We all sinned against him and we need to repent to him. And if he says something is wrong and we say that it is right, then we're preaching a counterfeit gospel of repentance instead of the true gospel of repentance. And tolerance is the counterfeit gospel of repentance. So let me say this, what's at stake is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Because if we don't call people to repent of personal sin, they cannot be born again. They cannot belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and they cannot enter into the eternal kingdom of God. And instead, all they're left with is this demonic culture that is a counterfeit. They are told that they are righteous when they are not. They are told that they are secure when they are not. They are told that they are good when they are not. And it's all demonic deception and lie. So at the end of the day, here's what I would say. Number one, repent of your sin. Number two, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number three, encourage other people to repent of their sin and to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And before you get so worked up about everyone else's sin, start with your own. Before you start protesting what everyone else has said and done, make sure that you're protesting yourself by repenting and owning your own sin. And that ultimately, we're not going to stand before a mirror and give an account. We're going to stand before Jesus. And the only way to be ready is to repent of sin and to receive him. Pastor Mark here saying thank you for giving me the honor of helping you to learn God's word. In a world filled with bad news, you need some good news. In a world filled with lies, you need some truth. And so, as I like to say, it's all about Jesus. We open the Bible and we help people learn about Jesus Christ. And I just want to say... Uh, if you would help me get the Word of God out, it would mean the world to me. You can go to realfaith.com, mountain of Bible teaching. I mean, we're coming up on three decades of Bible teaching. And or if you just go to 99383 and text the word unfiltered. Again, that's 99383 unfiltered. We'll send you a link that'll open up literally thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of free Bible teaching.